Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps and Peepers. Woohoo! I'm Dan. Hi, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Uh, thanks for showing up here and hanging with us. Yeah, thanks for being our friends. Fun place to get some scares. Be reminded not to be a Darren. Spoopy boopy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That too. Mm-hmm. We're going to move our brief announcements to the end of the show today uh, and probably going forward so we can we can move right into we the can stories. Dive right in. The reason that you are here. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, how many stories do you have today? I didn't even ask before the show. I have two. You have both, two? Of, both of which take us to Hawaii. Oh, really? So I think that's fun. Two Hawaii tales. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I have two, neither in Hawaii. Fine. Uh, the first one actually comes from when and where you were born. Cleveland, Ohio. Kind of. Ohio. Oh, okay. We're going to head to Ohio in the early 80s. Oh, okay. Well, close. Mm-hmm, to tell the tale of a possibly very possessed little girl's doll. And then we're going to head uh, way back to the late 18th century, just outside of Bristol, England, to tell the story of the demonic possession of George Lukens, a.k.a. the Yatin Demoniac. Okay. Well, I don't know about either of those stories, so I'm excited to get scared today. Good, good. Good. I'm, I'm repeating some socks. If you guys remember <laughs> a while ago, a fan uh, made these for me, and I love them. I those are so awesome. cute. So I'm going to get cozy. Are you ready yeah, to yeah, get, get going? Yeah, I got some setup. I got some, I'll, I'll get into the setup while you're getting cozy. Okay, great. Sounds good. Thanks, Dan. Okay, this first story started uh, back in 1983, maybe 1984, a few days after Jessica and Nicole celebrated Christmas. The two girls had been born minutes apart in Dayton, Ohio, back in 1977. Twins. They did everything together growing up, including being terrorized by something they don't fully understand to this day. In 83 or 84, when the girls were around six or seven, they were given a set of twin antique 19-inch dolls by their mom, Jolene, for Christmas. Each of the dolls had a drawstring in the back, and when you pulled it, the dolls would cry. Two Camkins dolls, for doll collectors, uh, made around 1920. Jolene had gotten the dolls at an off-the-beaten-path antique shop where the owner had no idea how rare they were and had sold them to her for just 10 bucks each. The dolls were in near-perfect condition. If Jolene had known they were collector's items and put them in cases and thrown them in the attic, they'd be worth around four grand today. She thought they were just cute gifts, and she liked how she was able to buy a few different outfits for the dolls from a local hobby shop so the girls could dress them up and put them in different sets of matching clothes. 
Jolene loved to dress her daughters up in matching outfits when they were young. Not creepy at all. Mm -mm. She loved having twins. She thought it would be extra adorable if sometimes Jessica and Nicole uh, and their dolls all wore the same outfit. Fair. Uh, To prevent arguments over which doll belonged to whom, Jolene wrote each daughter's initial on each doll's lower back, a J on one, an N on the other. Immediately, the girls began to refer to the dolls as Little Jessica and Little Nicole. Jessica and Nicole thought their new dolls were pretty cute, and they were excited to play with them at first. Time now for the tale of the living doll. Just a few days after Christmas, the first of many strange events related to the dolls occurred when the twins were playing with them in their parents' bedroom. Jolene made her bed every single morning, and she made it perfectly. You could bounce a quarter off of it. The comforter was tucked neatly under the pillows, and the end was tucked tight between the mattress and the footboard. And for whatever reason, kids are strange. Jessica and Nicole loved to play on the bed, even though they had their own room. The big king-size comfortable bed, far bigger than either of their bunk beds, gave the girls plenty of room to lay down and color and draw and play with their dolls. Cute. And a few days after Christmas, while Jolene was hanging out clothes to dry, the girls were playing on her bed. They were coloring on some sheets of paper while the dolls sat and watched. At some point, both girls left the room to go use the bathroom. And when they returned, they didn't at first notice that Jessica's doll had gone missing. Then several minutes later, they heard the doll cry. The sound seemed to be coming from the bed, but the doll was nowhere to be seen. The doll wasn't on the bed, and the bed didn't seem to have been disturbed in any way. So where was little Jessica? And then again, they heard her cry from somewhere inside the room. Neither could remember ever hearing the doll cry before without having its string pulled. Nicole moved some pillows aside and she noticed a doll-sized lump under the comforter. She lifted the comforter expecting to see the doll. Nope. It was somehow under the sheet. Nicole and Jessica then lifted the top sheet of the bed and still no doll. It looked like it must be under the fitted sheet. It cried again. The two girls then pulled the fitted sheet out from under the mattress, reached underneath it, and grabbed little Jessica. How could she have gotten all the way under the fitted sheet on her own? The twins ran out the back door to find their mom, Jolene, halfway down the clothesline, still hanging out clothes. They told their mom what had happened, and Jolene was convinced that Nicole must have hid it from her sister to play a little prank. Nicole asked her mom if she hid it. Jolene swore to her daughters that she would never do something like that, and Nicole swears to this day that she didn't do it. And based on what happened later, Jessica believes her. More confused than outright spooked, the girls returned to their parents' bed and played for the rest of the afternoon without any further incidents. The next occurrence would happen early the next morning. Jessica doesn't remember exactly what time. She woke up in the middle of the night to the sound of her doll crying again. She'd gone to bed with the doll laying right next to her, but now little Jessica, nowhere to be seen. Jessica, more than confused this time, she was outright scared. Her room was dark. She and Nicole had never used a nightlight, not until after a few days with these dolls. She scanned the room, and she couldn't figure out where little Jessica was. Then she heard her cry again. Jessica was pretty sure the noise was coming from the corner of her room, the corner behind the door. It sounded like little Jessica was close to where the light switch was. In order to turn on the light, Jessica would have to walk through the dark and towards the doll. Also, if she wanted to run out of her room, she'd have to run right past the doll. She whispered to her sister, who slept in the top bunk above her, Nicole, Nicole, do you hear that? What? Nicole has half asleep. My doll, whispered Jessica. I think little Jessica's in the corner. I'm scared. I didn't put her there. Don't scare me, hissed Nicole back. You know we'll get in trouble if we wake up dad. 
Nicole and Jessica had just recently gotten some of their toys back to play with before Christmas. They'd been taken away after the twins went through a rough patch of waking up early and then proceeding to wake up their parents. Their dad, Henry, worked as a bartender, and he'd gotten more than a little sick of being woken up at 6 a.m. after getting home from work around 3 a.m. I didn't do it, whispered Jessica. Can you just help me get her? After a dramatic and annoyed hard exhale, Nicole, who was always the braver of the two, climbed down. Come on, she said, irritated, as she held out her hand. Jessica got out of bed and, holding hands with her sister, walked towards the corner. Jessica was feeling freaked out. Nicole was fine, at least until they were halfway across the room and they heard the doll cry again. Jessica let out a little yell that startled Nicole, who then let out a bigger yell. Nicole then smacked her sister on the arm, hissing, Quiet! You're going to get us in trouble! Then she turned on the light, and there was little Jessica sitting in the corner, facing it. Jessica did not like what was happening. She asked her sister if they could switch dolls for the night. Nicole didn't care. She thought her sister had just accidentally left her doll there, so little Jessica went to the top bunk, and everyone went back to bed. And all was well the rest of the night. And then the next day, something stranger still happened. The girls were playing on their parents' bed again when once more little Jessica went missing. This time, neither girl had left the room prior to her disappearance. The girls checked all over the bed, but couldn't find her. She wasn't under the sheets like last time. Then they both heard little Jessica cry from down the hall sounded like the doll was back in their room. Oh my God. They exchanged glances, got into a brief argument, each accusing the other of hiding her, and then after both were convinced that the other girl was trying to trick them, they walked down the hallway together, holding hands, both afraid this time. When they made it to the room, they found the door shut and locked. How? The door only locked from the inside, and they'd both been instructed many, many times that they were not to ever lock it. Oh, dear. They heard the doll cry again from just behind the door, definitely inside their room. They had no choice but to tell their mom. Jolene, more than a little annoyed with the girls for locking their door, she didn't believe for a second that the doll did it. Jolene went in first and found little Jessica sitting in the same corner as the night before, also facing it again. Did she get put in timeout, she asked her daughters. Then both her girls began to blame the other. They both swore that neither of them did it. They told their mom about the night before, and then they got a little lecture about lying and about how the doll better not do anything else that the girls weren't supposed to do themselves. Jolene made it clear that she wasn't going to tolerate some new phase of I didn't do it, little Jessica did. Now, in addition to being spooked, Jessica was pissed. Her doll or her sister Nicole had gotten her in trouble. Nicole was upset too. She thought Jessica was doing all of this. The girls each played in their room separately for the most part for the rest of the day. And then late that night, it happened again. This time before going to bed, Jessica had sat her doll on her nightstand. She woke up to hearing her doll fall off or jump off the nightstand and hit the floor. Oh, God. Then Jessica heard what sounded like little footsteps moving across the floor, heading to the corner. Oh. Even worse, she swore later that she could see the shadowy outline of the doll moving in the dark. She could see it moving, and when she heard the doll cry again, she screamed, Mom! Dad! What's wrong? cried out Nicole from the top bunk. I saw her! yelled Jessica, oh, crying God. now. I saw her run to the corner. Moments later, Henry and Jolene burst into the room, quickly turning on the light. Their dad asked, what the hell is going on? Are you two okay? added Jolene. Little Jessica was back in the corner, facing the wall yet again. Jessica told her mom about the whole thing, how she'd heard it move across her, how she'd seen it, how it cried again when no one touched a string, and Jolene had had enough. Okay, she said, that's it. You both just lost your dolls for the next few days. Jolene grabbed both little Jessica and little Nicole, took them out of the girls' room. Their dad told him to go back to bed. He also said he'd leave the door open and the hallway light on. And then Jolene put the two dolls on the top shelf in her closet, closed the door, and, uh, you know, went to bed. 
Nicole, not happy. Look what you did, she told her sister when her parents left. I didn't do anything, Jessica shot back. And then mumbling about how it wasn't fair, how it wasn't her fault, how she hated her sister, Nicole cried herself to sleep. Jessica did not cry. She wasn't mad at all. She was relieved that her doll was gone. A few days later, Nicole and Jessica got the dolls back. Jessica not overjoyed to play with her doll, but for some reason, it suddenly now didn't give her the creeps. It felt different. Nothing weird would happen that entire day. Jessica started to enjoy playing with little Jessica, actually. But then that night, Jessica, again, woke up to the sound of a doll crying in the corner of the room. Oh my God. But this time, after waking up, she saw her doll sitting right there on the nightstand, exactly where she'd put it the night before. Not feeling afraid of it, she grabbed it and hugged it tight to her body as she lied in bed. She convinced herself she must have just been dreaming. And then holding her doll, she hears a cry again. Then from above her, she hears her sister Nicole ask, are you doing that? No, she says. And then Nicole asks, where'd you put her, Jessica? I didn't put her anywhere, she protested. And then she heard her sister mumble, whatever. And Nicole climbed down and went and grabbed her doll in the dark from the corner and took it back to her bed. Not funny, she said. I didn't do it, said Jessica. Then Nicole, annoyed with her sister, fell back asleep. And Jessica lay awake wondering if Nicole was playing a prank on her. And as she wondered this, she also fell back asleep. The next day would be the last day the girls would spend with their dolls. Both annoyed with each other, both thinking the other one was messing with them, Jessica drew some pictures in the living room while Nicole played in the backyard. And then behind her, Jessica thinks she hears little footsteps running past and down the hall. She turns around and sees nothing. About 30 seconds later, Nicole comes in from the yard, visibly pissed. She yells at her sister, where is she? Jessica starts to ask, where's who? When they both hear little Nicole cry from their room. Real funny, yells Nicole as she runs down to the room and finds the doll in the corner. Carrying it by the arm, she takes little Nicole back outside, pausing to yell at her sister, do it again and I'll tell mom. The rest of the day goes by without incident. Things are not quiet that night. Jessica and Nicole each fall asleep holding their dolls, and then sometime in the middle of the night, they both hear little Nicole drop down from the top bunk and hit the ground. Oh, God. They both hear her footsteps, the sound of the doll moving towards the corner. They both hear the doll cry out. This time, it's Nicole who screams out for her parents, Mom! Dad! Jessica squeezes little Jessica tight, scared speechless as Nicole continues to scream. Soon, they both hear their parents rattle the door handle. Then they hear their dad, Henry, yell, Girls, what did your mom tell you about locking the door? We didn't do it, yelled both girls. This time almost synchronized. Their mom yells, Open the door. We're too scared, screams Nicole. Then the light flips on, and the girls both scream. Little Nicole is sitting in the corner again, not facing the wall. She's facing Jessica and Nicole. She's different. Her expression seems menacing. Nicole would later claim to have seen her blink, even though that was impossible. The doll's eyes were painted on. She didn't have eyelids. Jessica would later claim that the doll tilted its head to look more directly at her. They both would never be able to forget her strange little grin. The girls continued to scream as their dad unlocked the door. Henry and Jolene burst into the room to find both girls staring at the corner, still screaming. The doll then made its crying noise, and Jolene screamed for a second, too, startled. Henry, not happy. He thought everyone was being hysterical. He admitted years later he was a little bit spooked himself. Jolene said she was taking the dolls away again for good this time. And this time, neither of the girls had a problem with that. And she did take the dolls away, and the twins never saw the dolls again. But the dolls spooked them one final time years later when their mom told them what happened next. Jolene said, 
her uh, told her now adult twins that she'd put the dolls back on the top shelf in her closet that night. Uh-huh. She told them she was scared that night. She suddenly thought that maybe the girls hadn't been making everything up. The next day, when she was alone in the house, uh, on the girls' first day back at school after Christmas break, she said she was standing in the kitchen when she heard her bedroom door creak open on its own. Oh, God. When she looked towards it, she saw what looked like one of the dolls seemed to round the corner and head into the girl's room. She said she immediately got goosebumps. The hair stood up on the back of her neck. She grabbed a butcher knife, slowly walked down towards the hall that led to the bedrooms, steeled herself, walked forward, glanced inside the open door to her own bedroom. She saw that the door to her closet was also open, the closet where she'd put the dolls, the closet she knew she'd shut that morning. She then shrieked when she heard one of the dolls cry from the girl's room. She slowly walked down the hall towards the girl's open bedroom door. When she got to the door, boom! Jolene shrieked again, almost dropped the knife when the door slammed in her face. Then she heard it lock. Trembling, she went back to her bedroom, never turning her back to the girl's door, got a key out of a drawer, crept back down to the hall, unlocked it, slowly walked into the room, peeked behind the door to see little Nicole sitting in the corner facing the room again. She screamed when the doll cried. Uh, Like her daughters the night before, she thought the expression on the doll had changed somehow. She said she could feel a bad energy coming from this doll. It felt wicked. She quickly grabbed it from behind, held the knife to its throat as if it were a hostage. (laughs) Carrying the doll like that, she marched back down the hall into the kitchen, put the doll on the floor, put her knee uh, knee, to hold it down, like got a garbage bag, and then threw the doll inside the garbage bag. She then carried the trash bag up to her room, grabbed the other doll, checked the initial on its back to make sure the doll she'd already grabbed was little Nicole. Uh, she then threw little Jessica into the same trash bag, tied it off, hopped in her car, threw, the, threw this, you know, like this garbage bag in the passenger seat, brought the knife with her. There was a dumpster behind a grocery store about two miles away. She drove straight to it, threw the dolls in the dumpster, slammed down the lid, sped back home. And then she told the girls something that scared them the most. She said when she'd taken the dolls from the girls the first time, she'd washed off their initials and switched them. Because she thought, you know, she wanted to make sure that if uh, Jessica's doll now started acting up again, she would know the problem was definitely Jessica. But when Nicole's doll doll started to act up, she started to get real creeped out herself because when Nicole's doll started doing strange things, while Jessica's doll was suddenly fined, she knew it was the same exact doll causing the problem. Everything that everyone had seen, it was all one doll, and the girls couldn't have known that. Since these experiences, neither Jolene nor her daughters have ever had any interest in any kind of doll again. Hell no. Yikes. Yeek. I love that the mom took a butcher knife. That's exactly <laughs> I, what I would do. I'm not, I like, I could just, see myself. Just squeeze, just hold it to its throat, like, uh uh-uh, uh, uh uh-uh. uh. Uh uh, you little plastic thing, you. Yep, you little monster. She, she drove it to the dump. Yep. Somebody oh, else's problem. Yeah. I, I would do the exact same thing. And I love that she took the knife with her when she went there as well. <laughs> right, in case she acted up in the car. She's not risking it. Right, right. I'm surprised she didn't chop their heads off. I would, I, I, I kind of like, I, I feel like um, I would want to do it similar to her because. I just wouldn't want to touch them. I wouldn't want to like, I would want to have my hands on them as little as possible. Yeah. Put them in the garbage bag, seal it off. Yeah, I probably would bring something to feel safe. Right. And then just, how can I get rid of these as quick as possible, place it's far enough away. Baseball bat to the head. Oh yeah, once they're in the bag? Yeah. Oh yeah, maybe. Maybe that's a good idea. uh, Like a rock or something. And smash them. Just just baseball bat's really easy. Rock is like a little, a little dodgy. Yeah. You can't guarantee that you're going to do any damage, but... I got some pictures of these Campkins dolls. Oh, I'd never heard of boy. them before. They are pretty creepy. They're kind of rare, too. Okay. Um, okay, so this first picture. Okay. Okay, okay. 
So these are Kamkin's art dolls. Uh, the, these Kamkin's dolls were made in Atlantic City. A little trivia. It's random, these dolls. Uh, Atlantic City, New Jersey mm-hmm. by Louise Camps from 1919 to 1928. So they were like handmade, sold on the boardwalk. Funny. Um, like the boardwalk empire. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like sold in one of those like little shops. Uh, these two listed for eighteen ninety five, one thousand eight hundred ninety five on a doll dealer's website. Wow. Mm-hmm. They're uh, heavy cloth dolls treated with rubber. These ones are eighteen twenty inches tall, molded, painted uh, mask uh, like face. You know, usually without eyelashes, painted eyes, closed mouth. Uh, yeah, yeah. Another. This next picture, another Campkins doll, known uh, as Billy. Okay. It's another little handmade doll. I think that's the same haircut that our son Kyler has right now. Oh my God. It actually is. It's like the Dutch boy haircuts. Dan Dan and our son Kyler had like oh some horrific God. bet. I don't even understand how this happened. Well, uh, uh, for him to get his like, he wanted these games for his computer and then he kind of came up with it. Like the dumb and dumber uh, Dutch boy haircut. I was talking to him. I, th- I thought it was cute when he had it in a little kid. Which it wasn't. I thought, I still think it was cute. And then he's like, I would have it again. And I'm like, no, you wouldn't. Oh and, and then somehow that led to a bet. And then I told him he could back out of it. And he's like, no, I'm doing this. Oh, yeah, his commitment is next level <laughs> but that's the haircut he has right and, now and then another another camp i think these are camp consoles they're creepy I'm pretty sure those are camp consoles and then I mean, one more i know I it's going to be a terrible fake nope. photo oh nope. shoot i thought they're i was they're all camp consoles these four photos I, I, I don't think that the dolls are actually that creepy is there something wrong with me i don't like them but i don't like dolls in general yeah i mean I don't the like concept it. of don't dolls like is kind of bizarre in general, right? They're weird looking to me. Yeah. But how do you feel about like Cabbage Patch dolls? Oh, I guess they are kind of like an old school Cabbage Patch doll. Yeah. I didn't like I didn't like Cabbage Patch dolls either when my sister had them. Really? I didn't like all the dolls being around the house. Freak you out? You thought they were gonna? Oh my god! Can you imagine that? That's all I could think about when you're telling the story. Like you hear the doll hop off the top bunk. <laughs> Yikes! Yikes! Ugh. There are no dolls in our house, so that's good. <laughs> right. Monroe's past that, that phase. That would be, that would, oh my God. And you know, they, they wear those little like plastic shoes. I was right. picturing, a, like, I mean, I was modernizing it. I was thinking of like American Girl dolls, which actually, I think that that would be more accurate, not Cabbage Patch doll. Remember when Monroe was into those? Oh, those, yeah. Those like super mm-hmm, overpriced mm-hmm. dolls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was like two years that I was hating right. life because <laughs> I didn't introduce her to those dolls and I hate how expensive they are. But like I was imagining yeah. those like plastic shoes and yeah. just that. Yeah, that sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Creepy dolls. There was a bunch of horror movies when I was a kid around creepy dolls and they all got me like the child, early child's play. I don't, I don't think I saw those. Puppet Master. I didn't see that series. for sure. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I, just because I think of our age gap, I don't think that uh, I saw those. Nah, you probably missed them, yeah. And didn't go back to them. I, I went back to things like Rosemary's Baby. Right. But I didn't go back well, to- Well, a lot of the 80s like, horror movies, not the classics, exactly. Right, right, right. A lot of them don't, they don't exactly hold up. Well, you know. They scared me as a kid. When I've watched them, I, I, although I'm watching Pet Cemetery again. Oh, yeah. And, is it, are you watching uh, the old 89, one? yeah. Um, yeah, I'm watching the original. There's, okay. there's a remake I'm not watching, but the, uh, yeah, it's scary, still scary. What is the most basic gift you have ever given the moms in your life for Mother's Day? Flowers, a candle, some random knickknack you picked up at the last minute because you completely spaced Mother's Day? I have definitely made the mistake of procrastinating gifts for Mother's Day. And then, like the Friday before, I run to whatever store is open and convince myself that, yes, yes, my mom does need another coffee mug that declares she's the world's (laughs) best. So lame. This year, how about one-upping yourself by giving the moms in your life an Aura picture frame? Named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to any mom at any age. 
Aura Frames connect easily to Wi-Fi and have unlimited storage so you can share as many pictures as you want. This year, as many of you know, I am on a spending freeze, but one of my carve-outs was meaningful gifts for the people I love. I don't want to give all of the moms in our lives something that won't bring them joy. We are giving Aura Frames to the moms in our world because they are timeless, heartwarming gifts. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code SCARED at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scared to death. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 and use code scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code scared to death 50 at factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Okay, you ready for another one? Sure. Okay, quite a bit of set set up for this one. It's an old exorcism story. Oh. Going back over 200 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are my favorites. I I love an exorcism. (laughs) May 31st, 19, or 19, May 31st, 1787, the Reverend Joseph Easterbrook, Anglican vicar of the Temple Church in Bristol, England, received a strange letter. Sarah Baber, a member of his parish, was visiting family in Yatton, a little town just over 10 miles south of Bristol, when she came across a suffering man. She wrote that the man sang and screamed in various sounds, some of which did not resemble the modifications of a human voice. That he cursed and swore in a most tremendous manner, and while in his fits, and declared uh, declared that doctors could do him no service. 
Sarah felt especially bad for this man because she'd grown up with him in Yadin. She knew him. His name was George Lukens, a 44-year-old tailor who she remembered as being a good church-going man. And she pleaded with Reverend Easterbrook to please help him. George Lukens had lived in the little village of Yatton just outside of Bristol all his life. As a young man, he trained to be a tailor, but now he lived as a common carrier, meaning a, a singer, an actor in Christmas shows, even a ventriloquist, similar to what we would think of now as a street performer. Okay, I feel okay. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. George was well-liked growing up in the area. His neighbors described him as having extraordinary good character from his childhood and had constantly attended the church and sacrament. No one recalled ever thinking he was odd in any way until 1769 when he was 27. Uh, that year, something changed with George. Time now for the tale of the possession of George Lukens. In 1769, George began to suffer from what he called fits of an alarming nature. One night, he was performing in an old mummer's play, a type of play performed by amateur actors that typically consists of a fight between two main characters and a doctor who revives a losing character. When he felt something uh, sharply crack him across his face, like a slap, but no one had hit him. Weird. He slumped to the ground and fell into convulsions. Two men in the mummer's play with George carried him to the home of a local man who gave him some strong beer and he slowly began to revive and feel like himself again. Okay, beer cures it. George hoped that it was just an isolated incident, a one-time thing, but after that night, he began to experience seizures on a regular basis for several years. Sometimes he couldn't speak. Sometimes he made strange animal sounds and growled like a dog. If you lived in Yatton, it wasn't uncommon to be walking down an alleyway and hear two voices up ahead of you, just around the corner. As you approached, the voices would grow louder. You might hear an argument, one person berating the other. How could you be so bloody stupid? And then another voice might whimper back, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And when you finally caught up to these two voices, you would see only one man, George Lukens, with a strange look in his eye. Another symptom of his new mysterious illness was that his fits always ended and began with what one witness described as a strong agitation of the right hand. Yet it was a small town, and almost everyone who lived there observed in one way or another George's strange behavior. On Sundays, when people passed him in the street and called out with, God bless you, George would flinch or snarl audibly. His face would contort and he'd spit. Then after a moment, he'd go back to normal with no memory of having had such a reaction. Hmm. After a few years of this, whatever was taking a toll on George mentally was now clearly uh, harming him physically as well. He became alarmingly thin, emaciated. At one point, George had been a jovial, lively fellow, fond of good company and strong drink, a man with a round belly and ruddy face. Now he'd become thin and pale, his eyes sunken, his skin papery yellow. George tried to soldier on, but his affliction was making life unbearable. During the middle of a mummer's play, he would often fall over with spasms. The illness seemed to strike whenever he was at his most public in front of the biggest number of people. George's family intervened and tried to help him, but they didn't know what to do. They didn't have much money. They asked the church to take up a collection, and the parish gathered enough money to send George to St. George's Hospital in London, and George was admitted to the hospital on May 3, 1775. Then he was discharged on October 8th, almost 20 weeks later, when his hospital stay had done nothing but make him worse. His seizures, seizures now came on with increased frequency. Lying on his hospital bed, paralyzed staff would witness his face contract into something inhuman. His mouth would contort into a hideous, painful grimace, and he would curse and spit at those trying to help him. The doctors regrettably told George's family that his condition was incurable. Back home, George was placed under the care of a surgeon named Dr. Smith from Rington, a little village three miles southeast of Yatton. Smith also couldn't understand what was wrong with Lukens. Dr. James, also of Rington, and Dr. Short of Bristol also examined George and found him to be, according to their notes, 
afflicted with the grievous hypochondriac disorder. They thought it was all in his head. George insisted that he wasn't faking anything. He insisted that he could feel something pressing at him, slapping him, knocking him to the floor, paralyzing him. A doctor named Whitechurch in Blackwell, another little village, this time 90 miles north of Yadden, prescribed laudanum. But even when George took extremely heavy doses, doses that could have killed a man similar to George's weight and height, he experienced no relief from his seizures. Man. George decided he must be possessed. He felt it was the only explanation, but how could he make anyone believe him? He sought the help of several so-called cunning folk or magic practitioners to rid him of his devils. A woman from the nearby village of Bedminster prescribed rolled up brown paper with pins driven in and then burnt in a fire during the fits. Didn't help. He tried other odd remedies prescribed by other odd cunning folk and any, all any of it seemed to do was enrage whatever was taking hold of him. Soon he was back in the hospital where he almost killed someone this time. Oh my God. One evening when George's elderly nurse came to bring him a meal, something inside of George snapped and he wrapped his hands around the woman's throat. He'd nearly choked her to death by the time the doctors were able to pull him away. In October of 1775, George left the hospital. Uh, actually, sorry, I think that date's wrong, but yeah. George left the hospital after this day, uh, went to the home of his brother in Yatton. But George was so unpredictable and destructive that his brother, for the safety of his family, relocated George to the home of a friend, Richard Beecham. While staying with Beecham, the fits finally seemed to end, just as mysteriously as they began, and he returned to his old self for over a decade. What? And then in 1787, everything came roaring back. George was convinced the devil himself was now tormenting him. On June 7th, 1787, George was staying at the home uh, at a home on Redcliffe Street when witnesses saw him slip into a state that they watched with horror and amazement at the sounds and expressions they'd heard. Word quickly spread of George's renewed fits. Word reached Sarah Baber, and Sarah wrote to the Reverend Easterbrook. Reverend Easterbrook agreed to meet with George and did so several times in the church to determine if he was or was not possessed. Easterbrook examined George, saw the bruises on his body from the times he'd been knocked over or hit, saw how George cringed when Easterbrook quoted the scripture or touched the crucifix that hung around Easterbrook's neck. Lukens, Easterbrook decided, was indeed possessed by something and in need of an exorcism. Easterbrook requested the help of three other Anglican church leaders. Together they wrote to their bishop, Christopher Wilson, and requested formal permission to perform the exorcism. And their petition was rejected. Oh. But Easterbrook would not drop the matter. And he was blatantly told by the Anglican Church that they would not authorize an exorcism to be performed on anyone under any circumstances. They feared that they would be seen as being too similar to the Catholic Church. So he decided to take matters into his own hands. He contacted the Anglican priest, Reverend John Wesley, one of the founders of the Methodist movement. Wesley himself declined to participate, but six other clergymen from his church agreed to help perform the exorcism. One of them, Reverend John Valton, had previously known George and wrote of him, I personally knew him, a youth about 18, short in stature, meager in aspect. He had frequent fits and was sometimes cruelly distorted, uttered foul language. I often heard it say, I often heard say that he should be delivered if seven ministers should pray with him. Sorry, the language is a little old-timey. <laughs> uh, at 11 a.m. on Friday uh, the 13th, June 1787, Easterbrook assembled six witnesses and was one of those seven ministers. And they performed the exorcism in the vestry room of the temple church. They tied George down and began singing hymns. Immediately, George's face distorted. His body began to spasm. He was subject to strange agitations. George spoke in a deep, hoarse, hollow tone as he pleaded with the priest to get it out of him. He said he couldn't control himself, that he needed their help. 
In both male and female sounding voices, he shouted blasphemies, cursing the priests, their mothers, the people of the town of Yatin, describing in great detail the various ways he'd like to rape the women of Yatin. He sang and laughed. He triumphantly said, I am the devil. I vow eternal vengeance on the miserable objects, on those present for daring to oppose me. I command my faithful and obedient servants to appear and take their stations. Saying this seemed to make George grow stronger. After he spoke these words, the room became noticeably darker. And then the priests felt just behind them that there was something lurking in the high corners of the cathedral, perhaps the servants George had called for. As the priests prayed, George interrupted them with an inverted uh, te deum, a Latin Christian hymn. He seemed to sing in a chorus of voices, We praise thee, O devil! We acknowledge thee to be the supreme governor! One priest demanded that George speak the name of Jesus, but George only replied, I am the devil! At the time, uh, at the same time as George said that, some of the priests claimed to have heard another disconnected voice seem to speak, Why don't you abjure? As in, Why don't you renounce your faith? The priest commanded in the name of the Trinity that the evil depart. The disconnected voice yelled out again, Must I give up my power? Then George began howling as though in pain. He clutched his legs and arms as the priest saw red welts erupt on his skin before them, as though he'd been whipped. As the priests continued their prayers, George shouted in a voice that was not his own, Our master has deceived us! Where shall we go? A priest replied, yelling, To hell! And return no more to torment this man. After two hours of repeated prayers, George announced in his own voice, Blessed Jesus. Then he praised God for deliverance and said the Lord's Prayer, and George was free from the demons. Despite efforts by Easterbrook and others to be as discreet as possible about the attempted exorcism, a letter dated June 11, 1787 to the Bristol Gazette, written by an anonymous source, made that impossible. Oh, dang. Suddenly, the Yatin demoniac was front-page news, and the discreet exorcism that Easterbrook had been planning became a public event. In defense of the exorcism, uh, which, remember, had gone against the Church of England's wishes, Easterbrook wrote that the possession was authentic, and to deny its reality... Would to claim that the, would be to claim that the power of the Lord had diminished since biblical times. George Lukens, believed to have returned to being a respectable member of society after this exorcism, and to have no longer suffered from his mysterious attacks. It was just over. Yeah, after that uh, uh, exorcism ritual, apparently, I mean, historically, according to records, uh, there was nothing was heard of this guy again. He was just fine. Apparently. I really thought this was going to take a different turn. I thought you were going to say that he said in his own voice, like, I invoke the power of Jesus Christ. He was going to say the Our Father, what have right, you. Right, right. And then it was going to start all over again. Like, nah. as if the devil. Right, right, right. Or now whatever this, possessed him. This is just a unique one where um, uh, maybe more documented in some mm-hmm. ways than uh, a lot of exorcisms. And so weird with that 10-year break in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How bizarre. Uh, do we have photos? We do have some photos. This okay. is an illustration that was, uh, I, th- I think, printed in the in the papers, okay. possibly. But it comes back from uh, around the time that it happened. This comes from the uh, Yale University, actually, the Lewis Walpole Library, huh. where they have this old illustration. Uh, and then this next one, it, this is the Temple Church in Bristol, where the exorcism occurred That's inside so of it. Oh, pretty. Yeah, old church built on the site of a Knights Templar church built in the 12th century. Tower completed in 1460, uh, has not been used as a church since it was bombed pretty heavily in World War II. Sure. So this this last picture is the exterior of the church uh, recently, just a historical monument now, not an active church. You can see can, like the roof's missing in parts. Can you go and tour it? Uh, 
I don't know that you can go inside uh, just because of the damage. I mean, possibly. I, yeah. I, I don't actually know. Okay. Yeah. Really yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. So and, a, and you can find all those photos if you're listening and you're not watching. You can find them on our Instagram, Scared to Death Podcast. Mm-hmm. That's where all the spoopy photos are. And Facebook. And Facebook. Sorry. FBIG. Whew. So many letters you got over there. <laughs> we don't tweet, so sorry. Nothing yeah, on Twitter. There's, yeah, there's too many too many social media platforms. <laughs> we don't TikTok. No. I don't old. even know how. I think we're too old. I think so. Too old or also not cool enough. Because people are on there doing some bomb-ass That's dances. True. That's true. There's some older people doing some, some different yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's just not, it's not, I'm not a, yeah, I'm not a dance video guy. No, I no, don't have no. any rhythm. You don't want to see it. Yeah. You don't want to see my attempt at. Right. And there's other it. stuff. There's other stuff too. But you know, there's only so much, so much time. It would take, it would take too much time away from scary stories. Th- yeah, spoopy. <laughs> I'm on that word today. Uh, are you ready to go to Hawaii? Since I, I am, yeah. So you got your stories now. Yeah, I know. I well, so as I was like combing through the emails, I think I landed on this because I was being sad, which I know mm-hmm. everybody lost out on things during COVID. But we were supposed to go to Hawaii for spring break, so. Mm-hmm. I'll let me take you there anyways. Okay. Let's, okay. Go, let's go to the scary, squish, scary, squish? scary side of Hawaii. Absolutely. I will, it, it did actually make me think about uh, when you did a guest spot on the Koi Pond with Joe Koi. Uh-huh. Oh, his story. And he told a story about a house that he rented for his family yeah. for a family vacation in Hawaii. And was that house sounded uh, exponentially haunted. Yeah. 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 And and that was prior to us really doing this show, I think. Maybe we had just gotten started or we were about to get started. And I was like, yeah, let's go. Let's stay there. I would stay there. And now, nope. 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 <laughs> no thanks. No thanks. Okay, well, here we go. It's a slightly longer story. So uh, hold on to your seat, my friend. Okay, okay. Aloha from Hawaii. My name is Beauty. Uh, and I live on the island of Hawaii, colloquially known as the Big Island. While attending the University of Hawaii cool. in Hilo, on the east side of the island, I had two terrifying encounters with shadow people. Hey. Mm-hmm. My college sweetheart, now husband, is one of a handful of people who know these stories by heart. I've largely kept them to myself for fear of sounding crazy, (laughs) but they're not exactly the kind of experiences you want to or even can keep to yourself, even if you tried. The one time I shared these stories publicly was during a college party. Deep in our cups, someone brought up the campus being haunted, and before I knew it, I spilled both stories to the crowd. Even though there were other people at the party who had similar encounters, we still ended up looking at each other like we were all crazy. Because thinking that we weren't crazy Mm -hmm. made the horror just all too real. Mm -hmm. Anywho, since then, I haven't really told anyone else, and I had no desire to tell anyone until I discovered your podcast. You can imagine how freaked out and happy I was to hear more about shadow people. (laughs) I didn't know there was an official term for them until your podcast, let alone that anyone else had encountered them beyond my alma mater. And so no longer feeling crazy and lonely in my experiences, I intently listened. Good. Having learned more of the shadow people lore from your fellow fans of Scared to Death, I'm inspired to corroborate their experiences with my own. And so here we go. Being Hawaiian and growing up in a Hawaiian community, I'm accustomed to tales of the spirit world. I was raised Mm. on them. The gods and spirits are alive and well where I live. However, it wasn't until I moved away from home for college that I had my own firsthand experiences with the spirit realm. I was 18 years old on the night of my first encounter. 
I had shared a dorm room with another person who was away that weekend. My best friend Val lived across the hall that year, and Val and I had returned back to our room safe and sound from a friend's party. Drunk and exhausted, I quickly changed into pajamas, curled up under the comforter, and fell fast asleep. Except for the hazy pumpkin glow of a nearby streetlight cast through the windows, the room had always mostly been dark with just enough light for me to feel safe enough to close my eyes. I'm now 32 years old and I have always and will probably always feel afraid of the things lurking unseen in the dark, dark night. Why I'm still afraid of the dark will become abundantly clear. Not too long before the night of my encounter, a woman who lived in our building was sexually assaulted. A drunk man had somehow bypassed the lock entrance to the women's only building and walked down the halls, jiggling doorknobs, checking to see if any of them were unlocked. Unfortunately, one of them was. Fortunately for her, both residents had been sound asleep, but the other, but they had woken up when they heard the sound coming from their roommate's cries for help. She helped the, get the guy off of her roommate, and they both screamed and fought him until more people arrived, and the authorities nabbed the perverted piece of shit. Awesome. After that, we were all on extra high alert, though. Women all over the campus doubled down on their strength in numbers. Everywhere we went, we went with a buddy. We made a habit of turning to check that all doors were passed through were then properly locked tight behind us and especially at night. The campus security even changed their rotations so that one of them would be camped out of the main entrance for most of the night. So as far as I was concerned, after I bid Val good night, locked my dorm room door and closed my eyes to rest, I was as safe as I could be. Until at some point in the late night, I felt the telltale weight of someone climbing over me in my bed of someone placing their knees between the close gap of my thighs. Uh. Immediately sensing danger, my eyes flew open, and it was then that I saw in the soft darkness of my dorm room a deeper darkness above me in the shape of a human. Its shadow face hovered inches above mine, its shadow arms planted and pinned around the frame of my shoulders. Thinking that it was another human intruder and remembering that my roommate was not there to help me fight, I quickly pushed myself up out from under the thing's oppressive stance. I breathed in deeply and let out a scream to wake the whole building, but no scream came, just a choked off silence. Unable to scream for backup, I decided to fight on my own. I pushed as hard as I could into the shadow and touched absolutely nothing. And it was then that I knew that the thing in my room was truly a thing and not human at all. Mm. And as this realization sunk in, my head flooded with laughter, a loud and inescapable cackling, mocking and hideous. I knew instinctively that if that only I could hear this eerie laugh taunting me. Then suddenly the shadow folded into itself and retreated away from me into the deepest, darkest shadow in the room, all the while laughing at me until its humanoid form completely disappeared and became one with itself. Remembering the lamp above my head, I reached up behind me and yanked the pull chain, never taking my eyes off the spot where the shadow person had melted into a deeper shadow. In the light of the room, I saw that it had shrunk back into the area where my umbrella rested in the corner of the nook of my dorm room's door. Even with the light on, I never let go of the pull chain. I don't know how long I sat up against my headboard, eyes locked on my umbrella, arm resting on the top edge of the headboard while my hand still gripped the chain. All I know is that I stayed like that until the sun came up, Mm -hmm. and I did not move until I heard the birds singing, until I knew life was back to normal and spirits no longer held sway over my space. 
The first thing I did was call my mom. My parents are very religious, and so after getting off the phone with them, they immediately hopped into the car, drove the two hours to get me, prayed over me and over my room. After the prayers and being consoled and comforted by my parents, I felt safer, but I was still shaken. Later that day, after my parents left, I crossed the hall and knocked on Val's door and told her everything that had happened. Val also comes from a Hawaiian family, so when I told her what happened, she knew what the fuck was up. She held me, and I cried, and I cried, and I cried, and then like a true fucking friend, she let me crash in her room. (laughs) Because she was a dorm advisor, she had a room to herself, so it was easy for me to roll out a sleeping bag and set up camp on her floor. It would be one week before I moved out of Val's room and back into mine, and for the rest of the semester, I then slept in my dorm... I slept in my dorm room with the lamp above my bed on until the sun came back up and I could hear the birds singing every day. After that incident, Val and I were very interested in the history of the room, Mm -hmm. so we investigated. We found out all kinds of stories from campus veterans about our building being haunted in general, mostly harmless hauntings, except for the stories about my fucking room. Whoa. People before me had fucked up encounters while staying in there, so frightening that they refused to stay the rest of the semester and were allowed to switch with another room if the, the following semester or sooner if a vacancy had opened up. And if they couldn't wait for an opening, those who could afford it would move off campus entirely. Apparently, that same semester, when I was assigned the room, someone else had been assigned that room before me. That person's grandmother, a Hawaiian woman, had been with her granddaughter to check out her new dorm and help her move in and get settled. According to the dorm advisor, that accompanied them to the room. As soon as the grandmother opened the door and showed them inside, the would-be resident's grandmother shook her head and demanded another room for her granddaughter. When pressed for a reason why, the grandmother told them that told them both that there was an evil spirit in that room and there was no way she was letting her granddaughter stay with that thing. And so that granddaughter was given my assigned room and I was given hers. Needless to say, I was fucking furious. Fully aware of the problems with my room, why on earth would the university keep renting it out? Money, of course. Since the building was at capacity, I couldn't switch out until the following semester. And as soon as I could, I did. Good fucking riddance to that room. (laughs) And good luck to anyone stuck in there. If you're hearing this and you're a current prospect resident of of the House of Misty Rain, say fuck off to room A105 and GTFO. I wish I could say that my hauntings in the dorm rooms at the University of Hawaii at Hilo ended at that one. Two years later, though, as my relationship with my college sweetheart and now husband got more intimate, I started spending over more and more. I started sleeping over more and more at his spot in the men's building opposite the women's building. Like Val, he was a dorm advisor, so he had a room to himself. Uh oh. Sorry. That's okay. My my page didn't turn properly. <laughs> Hi. Uh, and that was an amazing thing for two young lovebirds. I practically <laughs> lived there, spending nights at his place uh-huh. and daytime at my place. During finals week, after an early morning final, I headed over to my guy's spot and snuggled up with him until I fell back asleep. He would later leave to take one of his final exams in the afternoon. So there I was, alone and asleep in my lover's bed without a care in the world. That is, until I sensed someone standing beside me. Uh. Even in the state of sleep, I could feel someone's presence near me, standing at my bedside, right next to my head as it rested on my boyfriend's pillow. The fear of dread tugged at me until I could no longer ignore it. There was something in the room with me, and it was not my sweetheart. Though dorm advisors are given their own rooms, all of the rooms in the dorm buildings were designed to house two people. So at the halfway point of the room, 
the room fixtures on either side mirror the opposite. Speaking of mirrors, there was a wall mirror mounted to each side of the room, directly opposite of each other, so that if you looked into one, you could see yourself reflected from behind by the other. Mm-hmm. It's a very creepy effect, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a, and this kind of infinity mirror setup is something I understand is generally frowned upon by those who are familiar with the occult. As I was lying in bed, fully realizing that something was standing beside me, I felt exactly how I felt during my first encounter with the shadow person. But I was more terrified because I knew it was not night yet. There was still daylight in the waking world, and how the hell could something like a shadow person be active during the day? Unsure if responding with active fight mode would help me with this something powerful enough to manifest during the day, I decided to peek my eyes open. I had to see what I was dealing with. I tried to do it cautiously and not let the thing standing next to me know that I knew it was there. When I opened my eyes, my gaze locked onto the mirror onto the opposite side of the room, and in the reflection, I could see the mirror that was beside my lover's bed beside me, and I saw that standing in front of the mirror beside me was a shrouded figure. It was covered in what appeared to be a burial shroud that looked like it used to be white, was now gray and murky, spotted throughout as if soiled from mold and grave dirt and things rotting beneath it. And even though the burial shroud hid the humanoid thing's face, I knew that it was looking back at me through the reflection, facing the mirror opposite the one beside the bed where it stood beside me. And suddenly, like last time, I heard it in my head. But this time, this thing did not laugh. It screamed at me with everything it had. I felt how furious it was, how angry it was that I was there and that I could see it. It screamed so loudly that the reverberations in my head hurt me so much, I winced in pain, shut my eyes tight, teeth gritted. I curled myself into the fetal position and desperately tried to think through the migraine pounding pain and crashing incessantly like rough waves through my head. It was like being trapped in a storm of sound. And then I heard a doorknob turning, heard the jingling of keys and the opening of a lock. The storm of sound in my head slowly faded away, but my head throbbed nonetheless. I did not open my eyes. I did not move until my boyfriend was beside me, hands gently shaking me, asking me if I was okay and why was I weeping? He wanted to know what had happened, and until then, I had never told him about my first encounter. When I could speak again, knowing full well that he might think I'm crazy and break up with me, I told him everything. I had to tell him everything. He had to know what the fuck was in his room. After that, he bought Christmas lights and strung them alongside the walls, bordering the bed, (laughs) so that I'd be surrounded by light in his room, day or night. He also mounted and pinned a towel over the mirror to keep that thing from using the mirrors as some kind of energy portal for itself to manifest, and so I would never have to fear waking up in his bed, seeing that hateful thing staring back at me from beneath the burial shroud, burning harm and hurt to me. After doing all he could to make me feel safe, including settling me down after recurring nightmares resulting from both incidents as they come on every once in a blue moon, I knew our love was true. Hmm. To this day, my love does all he can to keep me safe, and I do all I can to keep us safe. Before I even typed these stories out, I smudged and prayed and invoked my ancestors' protection. This shit is real, (laughs) y'all. If you feel like something with bad energy is in that studio with you or wherever you listen, listen to your gut instinct. Pray for protection and bust your smudge bundles and crystals. Lindsay, manifest. Protect, <laughs> manifest protective energy around you always so that shadow people are never able to haunt you because that shit ain't cute. Lots of love and light to you both. Uh, thanks for giving us haunted people and places to vent and warn others. May you always be protected and safe. Aloha always. Beauty. 
Oh, Beauty's her name? Uh, she didn't want to be oh, identified, it, so it, it's it, her it. Hawaiian yeah. interpretation. Oh. Uh, yeah, crazy. I got the chills on that one a couple times. Uh, yeah. The, the thing showed up in her uh, boyfriend's room. I know. Do you the think mirror, it's following the, her? The mirror. Th- oh, I don't know. Or do you think it's just like the Ugh. campus? Because she doesn't say anything about like yeah, anything it, happening. Yeah, true. You know, probably later. Not, probably not following her then. Yeek. I and don't then, know. And then finding that out about the room and then the grandma of the other students. Right. That would freak me out. That would have been enough. Yeah. And then for it to come back like haunted. Mm-hmm. History lesson. And then haunted again. Mm-hmm. Yikes. I'd have to live off campus. Yeah. I can't remember the term she used, those parallel mirrors, but I know exactly what she's talking about. I hate those things. Infinity, like when it, infinity creates, like mirrors? A, it creates like an infinity mirror situation. Yeah, like when you're in like a fun house or whatever. Yeah. Not a fan at all. Ooh, why? What do you think is gonna happen? I, I, I just I just keep getting this mental image and it's just ridiculous. But um I picture like you know, it's just that, yeah, that like infinity thing where it's just, you know, a reflection of you and different angles are going back, 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 like one after another after another. Yeah. I don't know if I saw it in a movie or something when I was a kid. I, I, I want to say like it, but I don't even know if it did happen in it. But I picture like, let's say like 30 reflections down, all, oh. this, all of a sudden some other little person goes boop and just pops into that section and, and doesn't show up in any other sections. Which would be impossible for reflective qualities, you know, like that. Well, I don't care for that. Yep, that's. I have so many fun images like that going to my head at random times. Cool. Okay, mm-hmm. so well, I already knew that you were afraid of mirrors in that capacity, like yeah. that mirrors freak you out in the dark at night, mm-hmm. etc. Hey. Ay ay Are you ready for some more Hawaii fun? I am. Okay, let's do it. Hey, Lindsay and Dan, big fans of the podcast and Dan's comedy. Thank you. We just saw him in Brooklyn in early February oh, yeah. and laughed our faces off. Thanks for that. That was one of the last shows. I know. I was like, bah, bah. Oh, bah, bah. that's awesome. Yeah, at the Bell House. Mm-hmm. I love Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Uh, we worked together on this story. It's a couple. It's all totally oh. real, but 12 years have passed, and this period of time feels like just a blur. It took some teamwork to put it together for sure. Mm-hmm. In the summer of 2008, our two bo- my wife and our two boys, then aged one and three, and I were a, uh, stationed in Hawaii for a three-year army tour. Oahu was breathtaking, and we were oh. Really excited to start experiencing this new culture and environment. Mm-hmm. New army housing was still under construction at the time, and the older stuff was so dilapidated that we opted for Navy housing at Pearl City, which can be best described as a cookie cutter assortment of single story duplexes that fill a peninsula which juts out into the northern central part of Pearl Harbor. The housing was different than what we were accustomed to, a little bit more up-to-date, but very office-y, from the fluorescent lighting to the flat carpet and cafeteria-type linoleum. We especially weren't fans of the lighting, which seemed to fail to reach the corners of every room and gave the place a distinct, heavy, claustrophobic feel. Mm -hmm. As time went on, we would take every opportunity we had to go out and enjoy Hawaii, building some of our very first memories of our little growing family. Still, coming back to the house always felt like an energy suck. Even now, we struggle to think of any good memories we made in the house, which is odd because we are typically a very happy and spontaneous couple. My wife says now that it was like it wasn't even us. It was a weird alternate version of us. When I think of our daily lives in that home, the first image that comes to me is my wife and I bathed in the eerie blue flashing glow of television screen in the dark while our kids slept or napped. The phenomenon started not many weeks after we moved in. 
It's important for me to point out that while great for a ghost story, these things that we experienced were comparatively short and fleeting, and the general glumness that we felt when we lived there was probably the larger factor that sent us back to Army Housing a few miles closer to Fort Shafter, where I worked, about six months later. My wife and I began to notice sometimes when we were talking, watching a movie, etc., these dark blobs darting across the walls and ceilings would blink in and out of existence. At first, they seemed to exist only in our periphery, and we'd quiz each other if we had both seen it. Over time, however, the frequency, size, and duration of these events increased, with my wife and I both tracing the object as it danced or lurched from one wall to the next. By, by this time, I plainly remarked at work one day that my apartment was haunted, which I soon learned from a coworker was the case for most apartments on Pearl City. My supervisor, who was born there, asked me one day if I knew why the space was haunted, and I said no. He then proceeded to tell me that the peninsula that juts out into Pearl Harbor was once hallowed land, a sacred place reserved for dead ancestors of the native Hawaiians, and I'm sorry, and native Hawaiians refused to step on it. The Mm. land that American companies would develop into military subdivisions in the mid 20th century. As my wife and I are fans of the paranormal, scientists at heart though, but with a certain spiritual sensitivity about us, Mm -hmm. I was happy to share with her what I had learned. We had a baby monitor for our younger son, and a few times throughout the week, we would be awakened by cries from his room. Not typical for this 16-month-old baby's vocabulary, his words were clear enough for any parent to understand, no. And the last two words no parent wants to hear from their infant's room in the middle of the night, go away. I still remember opening our door sometimes and seeing a full person-sized shadow darting down the hallway and the powerless feeling of flipping on the light switch and on and off to illuminate the shapes clouding over my boy as he bravely stood up in his crib to confront it. His tiny voice like a mantra, go away, go away, go away. The straw that broke the camel's back came when my wife entered his room one night to soothe him back to sleep and he stood, pointed behind her and said, no, no. Go away. She turned around, saw a shadow walk into the room that looked like it could have been me, but she knew better. She felt frozen with fear while our baby screamed at this otherworldly being. She finally mustered all of her strength to grab our baby boy, hold him close, run out of his room and into our room where her shaking body and the baby's crying woke me up. That's when we both saw a thick black mass hovering in the corner of our bedroom we went back and forth with do you fucking see that and get the fuck out of here (laughs) until it seemingly melted away my mother-in-law who dabbled in the occult read my wife's blog about the incident and sent us instructions on how to cleanse our house with a smudge stick and a broom which we did which we did both as instructed I don't believe it was effective against this particular disturbance as things continued to escalate in the coming months We started putting spiritual countermeasures in the rooms, burlap sage bags hung in the windows and salt water bowls under cribs and beds. Ultimately, we moved both of our sons into the same room so that they wouldn't be alone. And this was probably the only thing that seemed to ease the number of incidents. To this day, we are able to see pictures of our son and how he seemed always to be surrounded by orbs in pictures with his whole of his whole babyhood up until we moved out of that house. 
One day, I was so mm. frustrated with my immediate inability to effectively protect my own flesh and blood that I set off walking down the hallway in pursuit of whatever it was while growling under my breath that whatever it was had to be some kind of <laughs> some kind of bitch to pick on a baby <laughs> that size and that it should probably go through me to mess with my kid. I told whatever it was that this was my house and that it was not welcome there in a primal, masculine, last-ditch mm-hmm. attempt to assert control over something I knew I could exert no control over. Essentially, nothing happened after that night, but the first opportunity we got, we moved out of that housing and, uh, I'm sorry, essentially nothing happened after that night, but when, when the first opportunity to move out of Navy housing came along, we took it. As we were packing up the last of the boxes, I felt a stinging heartburn radiate from inside of me and bubble outwards toward my spine, culminating in a burning stinging that seemed to have come from within. I took off my shirt to show my wife, assuming some kind of spider or insect had bitten me where I could not reach. And that was when my wife said I had three fresh scratch marks Uh. still reddening from how recent it was framing my spine. The lesson was clear to me. This was a response to my egging the demon on, which by now I believe tormented us and especially our youngest boy. We moved on our own dime in early 2009 to a newly constructed army housing and left that place a few miles behind us, but it felt like a different universe when we moved. Except for one night, a few days later, as I slept, I could sense a dark cloud over me. Close, I closed my eyes, squeezed shut as the ringing in my ear morphed into a single word being sung. My name. And although I'll never know for sure if it was a nightmare, I've always assumed it was that demon in Pearl City letting me know that distance and my identity were respectively not obstacles or unknowns to whatever we shared our walls with on that sacred Hawaiian island. Thanks for taking the time out to read the scariest period of our lives. Keep up the great work. We look forward to the show every week. O and A. O and A. Man, a lot of of shadowy stuff today. Yeah, lots of shadows in Hawaii. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that is, what a, what a crazy thing to experience with another person. Yeah. And then to, I mean, yeah, I mean, you could be reading into the get out of the kid, but like the way, I mean, but but also maybe not. It's like, what if like your little baby and, you know, your wife and you are like all experience this thing. And, uh-huh. then, oh, and then the photographs, right? That there's right. like dark orbs right, right, and all right, the photographs. Right, from all the time they spent in that house. Yeah. And then, and then leaving and having the energy like completely change. Well, and then also knowing that it was, you know, some sort of hallowed grounds, you know, to to the ancestral people of Hawaii. So it's like, I I mean, he doesn't say it, but Mm -hmm. I mean, it could have been a burial. It could, I mean, and and the fact that, that natives won't go there. Yeah. And that, and that happened in both, uh, both of those stories, uh, had that element of, Things started to happen. Mm-hmm. Then you find out after things are happening that there's a history mm-hmm. of some kind with that area, which, um, man, like, like, again, I always put myself in these stories, as most people do. And if I was like, that was happening to me, that would just be the clincher. Right, that right. If, if I thought I was seeing something and then somebody I was with also thought they were seeing something and then I find out that history in my in my mind, I'm like, okay, for sure. Done deal. Done deal. This is for sure a paranormal entity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good spooky stories today. Good spoopiness. <laughs> I had to bring it back. <laughs> it makes me cool or something, you know? It's yeah. like what the young kids say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're hip. You're hip, spoopy person. I'm very cool, Dan. Um, so, you know, since we started doing oh, yeah. this podcast, I have not been able to watch scary movies. Right, right. But last night I gave in. Mm-hmm. And we watched a kind of scary one. It wasn't like a, a all out, right. co- you know, code red horror, you know. Code red. 
I mean, it was te- it is technically a horror movie, but but, it, yeah. but it's more like it's, it's horror light. Yeah, it's creepy. It was more creepy psychological. Midsummer. Yeah, psychological thriller. Midsummer. I think it's Midsummer spelled like S O M M A R. Yeah. Midsummer. Yeah, it's about like the Solstice Festival. It's, I mean, I mean, cool, different kind of movie if you're looking for something. Yeah. I think. Did we see it on Netflix or? I don't know. You no, set actually, it up. I think I think it was Amazon Prime. I think it was like a uh, you know if you have Amazon Fri- Prime, one of the ones that streams free. Yeah. And it. Uh, yeah, filmed a couple years ago. It's set in Sweden. I think we figured out it was filmed in Hungary. Yeah, based on the closing credits. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, just an interesting one where some people go along to be part of essentially like a, a pagan cults. But they don't know that festival. They think they think it's like a group of grad students, and the one guy is going to do his thesis, and he's going right. to go. He's going to go to Sweden. He's going to Germany. He's going yeah. to England. Well, they know it's a celebration. They just didn't yes. know how quite remote and weird it was going well, to be. Well, they didn't know it was a cult at all. They just because the guy. Oh yeah, he said it was his village. Yeah, the guy. He's like, well, he's like, I grew up on a commune, but he doesn't. I mean, listen, if someone ever said to me, like, let me take you to my commune, I'm not fucking going. I've, right. I've hung around you too long and I've listened to you do too many time sucks about cults. cults and yeah. I feel like commune, unfortunately, for better or worse, because you yeah, might. It's, yeah, it's always cult, a, little, a little bit culty. Yeah. It's a bunch of people who have agreed to live by some set of standards that is in contrast to the surrounding kind of culture around them. Generally, right. Right. you know, so you're going to you're going to get some outliers, mm-hmm. of course, and sometimes that's going to get. Well, by the nature of that, it's going to be some kind of weird. Right, right. Might not be bad weird. Yeah. But it's going to be weird. But yeah, and this one, yeah, this one, things are bad. Things are bad. And they keep things. getting worse. Yep. The ceremony that happens once every 90 years. Yeah. And, and, and I don't just... want to spoil it. I don't want to oh. spoil it, but oof. There were some weird things that happened. Mm-hmm. It's really good. It's really yeah. good. And if you watched The Good Place, Cheaties in it, and that made me so happy. You didn't watch That's The Good Place? That's where that guy's from. Okay. I, I recognize know. his face from like, and now now I place it. I'm like, why do I know that guy? Yeah. And it's from walking by when you're watching that show. Yeah. Well, the kids loved it. So it was a, yeah. a family-friendly show that we watched. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was cute. It's cute. Okay. It's cute. I love Cheaty. So so there. Okay. But it was it was good. I don't know. If, like, after watching it, I was like, I could watch horror movies again. Good, good. I've been watching uh, Pet Cemetery again, like I said earlier. Man, that is, uh, that's a good one. It's a good one? That's a good one. Uh, my, my sister, Donna, she was going to have uh, Emerson. I guess Emerson's like been pushing to watch like scarier movies and yeah. shows. And uh, so she's like, well, maybe he could watch it. You know, it's from a while back. You know, and again, I think it's 89. But um, so she sh- played him the trailer. Was he like, uh-uh. oh, yeah, on his own. He goes, I don't think I'm ready for that. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's a scary one. That's a scary that one. Good uh, for him for just mm-hmm. like being honest and brave and saying like, nope. Yep. That's a, it's, yeah, it's, it's a it's a real good one. Just the premise and the and the, and the way they do it. You know, it's 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 a. Uh, it's set in the eighties. Yeah, you know it's gonna I have. It. You those, said that like uh, seven times. I, right, right, right. So when people are watching, I mean, it, it's always tough because, like, compared to like modern horror movies, is it gonna have the same kind of like James Wan kind of right sound beds and cuts? No, probably not. Yeah, but it's but it's well done. Um, weirdly enough, this morning I woke up with a bloody mouth. What? Mm-hmm. So you need a bloody mouth. Yeah, you're telling me. So I sleep with night guards, right? Because oh, yeah. I grind my teeth, and this morning I had like a huge clump of blood come out of gross so gross out of the corner of my mouth and then during the first story that you were telling i had to keep drinking so much water because i could taste blood in my mouth again uh so that mouth guard cut you or something i don't know it's smooth i checked it man is it a demon warning i don't know i don't know do we have any stories about bloody mouth that's all i could think like after the scary movie i was like oh of course now it's gonna get me Yeek, yeek. Hey, you, so, anyways, and you have today. You, I, I'm, I'm reminding you now. Yes, some shout outs. 
Yes, I have some shout outs. Oh, and, and, and we have some things yes. here that we wanted to just kind of go mm-hmm, over. Mm-hmm. So uh, a longtime friend of the show, Time mm-hmm. Suck and Scared to Death, Gary Howard, uh, he travels a lot for work and he was passing through and he sent, sent, he dropped off some new crystal pyramids. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> and then also uh, another fan stopped by, Chelsea. She uh-huh. was in town with her uh, family from the Oregon coast. Mm-hmm, and where mm-hmm. are those dolls? Oh, yeah, right there. These guys. Two creepy dolls that um, she said that the person uh, who sold them to her at first wasn't going to, I think gave them it, to her. So so she was at like an estate sale or like right. a garage sale kind of thing. The person said they were haunted. Yeah. And the Chelsea asked the person, she was like, oh, like, what's the deal with those dolls? And she wanted to buy them. And the woman said, well, I can't charge you for them, but you can have them. But. But, but just so you know, the person that I got them from said that when they had them, bad things had happened to them but we had a friend of the show who is in touch with that i don't know with the other side or like you know can do readings and feels energies or what have you she uh, we gave the dolls to her and she held on to them for a little bit and said that she didn't feel anything negative coming off of them and that they were previously the possession of a, a young girl who loved them very much and that it was it was safe to have them because when we got them they were in like a plastic bag in a plastic tube because I'm like listen if these things are haunted I'm uh, not fucking touching them. I keep I keep I keep picture in my mind yeah. when your hand was on your glass one of the little dolls reaching over and just scratching you and then running off Ooh. the table and running out of the room. <laughs> that would be that would be awful. <laughs> yeah. You just gave me the chills. Yeah. Why? I don't know. But that, these are the things that always are always in my head. Yeah yeah yeah. Well, you you can write a horror novel about it. Okay. Uh, and then we got these cards. So you can see like the, the little clown and the bunny and there's another one up on by the Nomi guy. And mm-hmm. those were those were just sent in the mail. I, we just thought that the photography was so beautiful so and cool. amazing. Uh, Ashley. We had a whole bunch of them. Yeah. Ashley Hutchinson. And you can find her at Ashley Hutchinson Photography. Uh, yeah. I mean, she does sort of these creepy mm-hmm. photographs, mm-hmm. but they're really cool. Super cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, and so much fandom today. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, creeps, creeps and peepers. Yeah, we we love hearing from you guys. So, so last but definitely not least, we wanted to give a couple shout outs. Uh, a fan of both Time Suck and Scared to Death, Jeremy, wanted to let his brother Justin know that he thinks he's the toughest man alive. Ju- uh, Justin is currently recovering from open heart surgery. Damn. Yeah, that is fucking tough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Badass. Justin, uh, we hope that when you do hear this, your new heart is treating you well and you're at home recovering. Uh, and then in other news, yeah. we have our first baby peeper creeper announcement coming. <laughs> Congratulations yeah. to Matt and Brandy on news of their future baby. Uh, yeah. they, they fought really hard to get pregnant. They did not think it was going to happen and... Here they are. So we're super excited. And then uh, a big congrats shout out to Vinda and Oso on their wedding. Vinda wrote me a beautiful email sort of sharing their story, how they had met, but they had both been in relationships and those, uh, they went through divorces and then they reconnected and then lost touch again. And then were in shitty relationships Mm -hmm, again mm -hmm. and then found their way back to one another yet again. Wow, cool. And so after being together for just about uh, five years, they're getting married. By the time this airs, they'll have already gotten married. So a big congratulations to you guys. And Vinda says, I just wanted to let him know how much I appreciate and love him for everything he's done, including, and I believe this wholeheartedly saving me. He saved me in so many ways. And I could never repay him. Adorable. Adorable. We love love. We love I mean, love. We love spoops, but we love love. 
<laughs> loves poops. <laughs> oh, you. That's why you love me. You little <laughs> sp- spooky ding dong. I am a ding dong. <laughs> I, I keep it spooky. interesting. Yeah, Spoopy, you do, you do. Uh, we have fun here. We have fun we here. We hope uh, we hope you had fun hearing the stories. And thanks for yeah the um yeah just all the emails and the stories and the gifts. It's all we're very lucky. Very lucky and it's all super very nice. appreciative. And we love hearing from you guys mm-hmm. and just all saw, the things. Saw some fans around CDA this past week, which is really cool. Oh, yeah, we did. Mm-hmm. We ran into a fan in Wallace, Idaho this weekend. Oh yeah, that's right. Yep, yeah, from down from Boise. Yeah, and people yeah. people I always get people really hesitant. Like, hey, I feel bad for bothers. It doesn't bother us, you know. Like no. if you want to come up and say hi or have, get something a signature or a quick photo it doesn't bother us at all no you know if you're, if, if you're like you know if I was eating lunch and you came and sat on my lap and started eating my food that's that's too much it's a little that, bit that's weird too far but other than that can I sit on your nice. lap and eat lunch you can you cool. can Long thank as, you don't eat all of it you know how hangry I get yeah okay uh, thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scared to death uh, it really does make the show so much better and thanks to Heather Rylander for handling those emails everything else info at scared to death podcast.com uh, thanks for listening watching this bad magic production thanks to the team Logan and Kate social media badmagicmerch.com uh, doing the merch design uh, and we have some new merch um, we have uh, tank tops now Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got the first tank tops from Scared to Death in the store right now, badmagicmerch.com, men's and women's cuts. Mm-hmm. I dig it. Mm-hmm. Sli- slightly different design. It's this uh, um, moth, oh man. Um, oh, geez. Moth of the Dead. There we go. Moth of the Dead design. Slightly different coloring stuff for the men's women's. I, I-, I like it. I like the, the variation. I thought, it, I thought it looked exactly the same. Maybe it's in my head. Okay, maybe it's exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> either way, either way, I like it. I thought it was a little bit different. Yes, and, uh, and so many other like fun summer designs mm-hmm. coming. I've been working with Kate and Logan the past couple yeah. days. I am stoked. So get your get your summer scares. Discount code appearing on screen for uh, YouTube creeps and peepers. Nice. Uh, and, and thanks for the ratings and reviews. We really do uh, uh, appreciate it, and it uh, you know encourages us to to really do our best to bring you the best horror stories we can every week. Make sure that this podcast is worth a good rating and review. So thank you for that, and. Um, Thanks to Zach Flannery, producing and directing many episodes, Sophie Evans, finding many of the stories, and Joe Paisley, producing, directing, adding, and creating custom sound beds. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram, at Scared to Death Podcast. Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube, and enjoy your nightmares, creeps, and peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but has no home here within scared to death. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.
They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.